Hello and welcome to another edition of the Grazia Life Advice podcast. This is Rhiannon Evans and in each of these episodes we get six life tips from our guests and hear the stories behind them. This time, a queen of the I'm a Celebrity Jungle and a Made in Chelsea favourite. Hi, I'm Georgia Toflo and I'm a bit of a broadcaster, I am an author and I love all things television and social media. Georgia Toffolo, toff to her friends and Made in Chelsea castmates, is a mainstay on our TV screens. She's on shows like This Morning, Celebs Go Dating and even Celebrity Hunted with Prime Minister Boris Johnson's dad, Stanley. Coming up, why Toff is unlikely to date you if you don't share her music taste. So I went out with a chap when I was about 17 who got quite into dubstep, but um, <laughs> he used to like garage and I used to call it garage and he was like, you're just awful. And well, the relationship didn't last. Like many of us, Georgia's used lockdown to learn how to cook, but she's limited herself to one key ingredient. I can't nip out to a restaurant. I'm living on Deliveroo. So I forced myself to learn how to cook eggs. And now I can put together quite elaborate things that are really, really easy that I've been showing off on Instagram and to friends and family. And a difficult chat with her parents when she broke the news to them that she was joining Maiden Chelsea instead of going to university. They were like, you are making the biggest mistake of your life. You have wanted to be a barrister for so long. We have heard you. Don't do it to yourself by deviating off course. Toff has also just launched her second novel, a Mills and Boone collaboration called Meet Me in Hawaii. So let's get into the chat. Hi, Georgia. How are you today? Hi, darling. I'm well. I'm well. Living the lockdown life. Tech problems. A lot of, I mean, coming out of my ears, but thrilled to be on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Obviously, you're a big Grazia person. You've been a maid in Chelsea. I'm a celebrity. Celebrities go dating. Loads of our favourite shows. But at the moment, you're focusing on, you've just released a new book with, I'm obsessed with this, Mills and Boone. Actual Mills and Boone. It's just been insane. So Meet Me in Hawaii is out now. And it's the second of a quartet. And it just follows the most enchanting story of course I'm incredibly biased but um completely wonderful story of four young girls who are from Devon very similar to me I grew up in South Devon um and each book I was so happy that we were able to do this focuses and hones in on each of the girls and you know the first book Meet Me in London came out last October and it's just been an utter joy because I've always loved writing but I think I've just been buzzing around with like a headless chicken really and I've finally been able to kind of a, get a book deal over the line, but have so much control and involvement in the way that the girls are able to tell their story and touch upon some really different subjects. So yeah, for me, it's been a really amazing six months. I'm so proud of them. <laughs> yeah. And tell us, because obviously we think Mills and Boone, we think great kind of romance with those kind of illustrated covers. Talk about the relationship between the books and Mills and Boone. They're romance novels. Oh, of course. I mean, full to the brim of romance and love, which it was, it was quite, for me, I just always wanted to write Mills and Boone. And I'm a bit of like an old soul in a young person's body. And the thought of younger people my age group or girlies into their 30s, 40s that might not have read a Mills and Boone novel before, it really excites me. And I hope that I'm getting more people round to the Mills and Boone kind of way of life because they're so, it is complete fantasy and fiction. But it's given me such respite reading that type of literature. So writing them alongside Mills and Boone, and I've written every book alongside a very successful Mills and Boone author. So not only has it been a wonderful experience from a learning perspective, 
But it's been a really collaborative experience because it was my first venture into fiction with Meet Me in London last year. But now that I feel I've got a bit more confidence with my writing, because I always kept it very private. I don't know why I, I sort of had this thing in my mind that you couldn't do the silly, fun television that I've done, but also maybe be taken a little bit more seriously. I've been very, very fortunate with HarperCollins and Mills and Boone and my co-authors because they've they sort of sat me down a few times and been like, you actually can write. Stop hesitating. <laughs> Go for it a little bit more. So just to see, I can't even put into words the feeling of, I mean, I've worked on these books for two and a half years now and like holding a, a hard copy is really, a really amazing thing. So yeah, it's just really exciting. Yeah, a real dream for loads of people. And I wanted to ask you, where do the romantic scenarios come from? Are they dreamt up or do you ever base them on your own life, your friends' lives? Yeah, completely. There are parts of every single character in all of my books. There are a few characters that I've just completely made up. But the real main ones, they've got parts of the people that I really love, particularly the four girls. Um, I've got a really, really kind of secure friendship group that I met at school and there are bits of them, even if it's just the characters and the way that they aesthetically look, I do think of them as my girlfriends. But they're, they're an accumulation of all the people that I love. Yeah, fantastic. And huge escapism. And like, uh, you know, someone like Marianne Keyes always talks about there's no such thing as like guilty fiction, is there? Read whatever makes you happy. This is it. And I think in the last year, we have, I, I don't know whether everyone's similar to me, but I really do love travelling. And I felt a bit kind of stagnant. And the, the loss of freedom is really strange. And armchair travel is the way that you can escape maybe a reality that we weren't quite ready for. It's been a bit of a shock. And I wonder whether why romantic fiction this year has sold more than it ever has done, which for me is just obviously music to my ears because of my books, but I love that people are turning to literature and leaning on it because that's personally what I do if I'm feeling sad or stressed. The way that I relax, I sit down with a really good book. And yes, it is completely made up and ridiculous and all of these wonderful happy endings, but isn't it glorious to read something that we all dream of? I don't know about everyone, but I do. Yeah, absolutely. So give us some recommendations. What do you love to read? I'm a Jilly Cooper girl through and through. There's no book that I turn go back to a billion times as I do other than writers. Love it. Um, I think also Rupert Campbell Black is just a bit of a pin-up of mine. I like quite all the yeah. men, so it works. Um, Perfect. Definitely, Julie Keeper. There's another one that I really take refuge in. Bizarrely, it's it, I wouldn't say it's a book as such. It's a cookbook. That's what it is. And it's called Midnight Chicken by a girl called Ella Risbridger. Have you heard of yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, fantastic oh, book. Oh, gosh. I just, for someone like me who can't cook, to have such an obsession with, a cookbook that's been put together out of quite deep depression and the way that she writes just gives me goosebumps and it's just a book that I go back to all the time and I love that it's a cookbook you know literature is so broad it doesn't always have to be you know a stereotypical fiction book yeah that's a great recommendation everyone should check out that book right so let's get on to your pieces of advice so six best pieces of advice and I love that you've just started we've never had this one enjoy the same music as your partner why is that (laughs) I just think, because I do write things, romantic fiction is my thing, I've had to kind of sit down and think about, like, why relationships work and whether it's completely farcical that I've wanted to talk about this. In my opinion, I don't think it is, because I look back over the partners that I have had, and if you do share a joy of similar music genres 
And it's not just music. It goes down to, I'm a real Radio 4 girl. Now, I could never go out with a man who didn't like Women's Hour or The Archers. So for me, if he was always wanting to put on, you know, Radio 1, nothing against Radio 1, love it on a Saturday night. But day to day, you know, when you're making breakfast on a Sunday morning, it's not a deal breaker. But it's something that I would think, God, that's a bit of a winner. So, yeah, that's what I want to start with. Have similar music tastes if you can. Do you bend? Have you ever have you ever like met a guy who's made you turn to music you never thought you'd be into? I'm just trying to think. I went out with a chap when I was about 17 who got quite into dubstep. But um, <laughs> and he used to like garage and I used to be like <laughs> and I used to call it garage and he was like, You're just awful. Like that's just an awful <laughs> thing. And well, the relationship didn't last. We had a mm. we had a bit of a laugh, but I'm just not that type of girl. I just like if I like my music, I like a bit of nineties, you know, a bit of cringe. Yeah. But no, I'm just trying to think. I'm telling you, it's good life advice. <laughs> yeah, that is good. And it doesn't all have to be the same. My husband is very into heavy metal, for instance. I'm never gonna go there. But there's places in the middle we can meet. So it's not you don't have to all be exactly the same, do you? Exactly. And be open to different schools of thought. But for me, I think loving the same radio station means quite a lot. Okay. That's quite, is that like a first date chat? Is that one of your first questions? It tells you a lot about a person. (laughs) Yeah, I think it really does. And it's a big thing of my life. I have have this Roberts radio that I've had since I was 12 that my grandfather gave to me. And it just goes on all day. And I'd imagine if someone didn't like the type of radio that I listened to, it is enough to start an argument. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. (laughs) And I love your second piece of advice. Could you share it with us? So in the wake of a breakup, just make sure you look good because you never know who you're going to bump into. My grandmother gave me this advice and I just, my grandmother, she's so glam. She's, God knows, none of us know how old she is and she looks like really, really young. And I always think, oh, you just don't know because you look so glorious all the time. And she said, always have your makeup on and do your hair after a breakup because you might bump into the bastard. (laughs) Maybe I sound quite vacuous, but when I've got my glam on, I know I can tackle the ex-boyfriend a lot better than if I didn't. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever been in that situation where you bump into the ex at the wrong time? Yeah, always. And it's always when I'm a bit spotty and I've got my leggings on and I just think, oh, don't you want to go away from that and call your best friend and be like, I bumped into that nasty guy and I looked so banging and I just turned around and flipped my hair and walked off. (laughs) It's quite personal life advice to me, but it's a good one because I think... You know, when you have broken up with someone, whoever's fault it might have been or might not have been, you know, you want to feel good about yourself because it's such a turbulent emotional time. And maybe not everyone, you know, I'm, I do place a bit of emphasis on when I, when I look good inside, it doesn't matter visually how I look, but when I feel good inside, I do have a bit of a spring in my step. I think it's okay to admit that maybe having a slap on does make you feel a bit better. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. I totally agree with that. You're, um, you know, the kind of shows you've been on Made in Chelsea and Celebs Go Dating, you know, it, it kind of puts your love life out there. It's public property. Everyone talks about it. How is that? What's that like? Yeah, it's, I mean, I started doing television when I was 18, 19. So basically all of my adult datinghood has been in the public eye it's quite tricky because things happen and you know we are just normal people but things can be put out there that you wouldn't really want to so I made a decision about two years ago to you know speak about my private romantic life but not give too much I think I'm very mindful that if I give everything I don't know how 
people in my position do have really long careers because emotionally it's very difficult. And I wonder whether I've used my books as a bit of an outlet to speak about romance without being specific. And I, I'm also mindful that when I did The Jungle, my family were really, I mean, they were like journalists going through bins and stuff like that, which, you know, I wasn't there to guide them. They didn't sign up to that because I was obviously in the middle of Australia with no telephone. So I also do think now that I'm 26, you know, they didn't sign up to that. I've made this conscious decision and I really love what I do. So I've just gone 360 a bit. I share, but I don't overshare just to protect myself. Did you ever come into circumstances where being famous and being the public eye ended a relationship or caused problems that might not have been there, had they not? Yes, I suppose so. I think I probably in the past have dated, there's a couple that stick out to me looking back that maybe they wouldn't have been with me if I wasn't in the public eye which is quite a dark place to think about and I didn't have any normal perspective on it when I was in it and I think that's probably why I hold a bit back now because I want people to if I am romantically involved with someone I want them to be with me because I'm just Georgia not kind of tough from the telly that's not okay. absolutely Your third piece of advice is to be a savvy business owner. So why is this important to you? Well, I am in the middle of starting up my own business. and I really want to talk about it, but it's not quite there yet. And before I did, I've always had this thing that I'm quite ambitious and I want to kind of flex any entrepreneurial kind of muscles that I might have in me, whether it goes well or whether it doesn't, that's a different matter. But in the setup, I spoke to lots of females that have set up kind of big corporations, small, small business owners, and all of them kept on saying to me, and I've really imprinted it in my mind, get advice from people and pay for their advice or however however transactional that might be. However, don't give away too much equity on something that is your baby. Now, if you want to bring on investors, be fair with the amount of equity that you give. However, if you really are in control of a business, it's your idea, you are hustling all day every single day make sure that you're not outnumbered keep a little bit back for yourself and don't get overexcited at investors because no one will drive your company as much as you will and I found that in the experience I mean I only set up my business six weeks ago so you really have to drive people and no one will believe in it as much as you because if they did they would have set it up themselves you know so don't give too much away too soon well now I'm desperate to know what the company's about can you give us any (laughs) Can you give us any? Uh, It's in the realm that I work in. Okay. So can I come back and talk to you when I've launched? Yeah, please do. When you're thinking about owning a business, however big or small it may be, like what are your principles? You know, is it important for you to have an equal workforce or be ethical? What kind of things are you looking at? For me, I mean, obviously, I've said that I'm really at the beginning of the journey. The big thing that stood out is, is employing people that hold the same values as you. And I, I'm very positive and I'm very, I hope I'm very kind. I hope my friends would say that about me. But you know, when you're working alongside people all day, every day, if I've got an all female team, which I really love, I can think of two employees that are working with me, alongside me. And I literally employed them because of their manner, their kindness, and how positive and upbeat they were about the challenge. The two people that I've got in mind, they had zero experience in what we're doing now. But I think that severely outweighs any previous experience. So I just love, I love our dynamic when we we have our wonderful meetings and everyone's as excited as I am. And 
they all treat each other internally with a lot of kindness. And I think that goes a really long way. Mm, Absolutely. And was it always something you wanted to do? Or is it that, you know, the kind of celebrity level you've reached has allowed you to open your own business? Yeah, I wonder whether I've been incredibly lucky. I don't think I would have launched what I am launching if I hadn't have had a lot of experience in television and influencing and all these things. So it has been born out of, you know, being who I am. Um, but it's just really nerve wracking because, of course, when you are in the public eye, even a little bit like I am, you want to make a real good go of it. Because if I don't, um, I don't know. I just I really want to show people that I can, you can be multidimensional and you can be perhaps an author and you can do silly television and all these different things. I think it's really cool to push that um, as kind of a young woman starting out, really. I'm still 26. You know, I've got a long way to go. Okay. And obviously we see, I think consumers can tell from the outside, there's some companies approach celebrities and say, we're going to do this business, we'll kind of pretend it's your business, we'll put your name on it, we're doing everything in the background. Was it important for you to have something that was just from you? Yeah, that's exactly it. And I've I've spent years and years doing a lot of advertising for companies that I don't have anything to do with. So what they stand for, you know, how they, how ethical they are, all of these different questions I, it's very transactional. I am paid and I'm ambassador for really wonderful companies. But how I'm really excited to have this opportunity to really set the record as to what I stand for. I think it will be really cool. And I want to make it like a, a really amazing community. As I said, I've got to come back and talk to you about it. <laughs> fantastic we'll be back with more from Georgia after this we're still here with Georgia and your fourth piece of advice is about cooking so tell us that well I just can't cook and this pandemic has just showed me like it is really bad not to be able to cook anything I can't nip out to a restaurant I'm living on Deliveroo so I forced myself to learn how to cook eggs And now I can put together quite elaborate things that are really, really easy that I've been showing off on Instagram and to friends and family. So the advice is, if you can't cook, buy Delia Smith's volume one, How to Cook, and just read the eggs section, because it's not (laughs) that hard when you put your mind to it. But I think I've just been so busy, I just forgot that, well, no one ever thought that we wouldn't be able to put around the corner for a bowl of pasta, you know, I mean, I, I... about do pasta um but I think yes if you are unable to cook go for the egg repertoire but make it really amazing like my eggs look really good and no one can criticize my eggs so what's your egg what's the special egg recipe what's the best thing you can do well what I really like doing is so just bo- this is gonna sound ridiculous <laughs> boiling the egg so it's five minutes and 15 seconds and then you pop it straight into iced water and then you get a bit of kitchen roll and you peel the egg so there's no mess whatsoever and then you do a lovely instagram shot of you cutting the egg open and then the runny yolk going everywhere and you put some pepper on it and everyone thinks you're just just like chef extraordinaire so it's just making <laughs> it until you can make it really so boiled egg on toast is yeah, that's it. Okay. <laughs> and I also realised when this love affair with eggs began, I didn't have any egg cups. So I started just ripping off the end of the egg packet yeah. and putting them in the thing. But it actually looks quite rustic as though I planned the whole thing. That is a good tip. Yeah. <laughs> Has it not given you a flavour for trying out some more recipes in the in the rest of the book? Or well, yes, no, not the book. It's quite a long book. It's a really long read, and it's so like 
technical about food. It's just a bit, it's too much for me. But I did. I have signed up to Leet's Introductory to Cooking, um, which starts wow. next Sunday. So you do it from home and they send across, you do it as a class. So I'm waiting for it to begin. Um, but that's proper back to basics. I can't believe no one taught me how to, I just can't do the most simple things. And you know, when you're a bit older, you just get a bit embarrassed about the whole thing. Is that the Pruleith course, the that you're yeah. doing wow yeah I have a friend that does that that's amazing so you'll be learning everything you'll be you know be able to whip up custards and sponges and loaves of bread <laughs> can you imagine that's the goal I can't go into my 30s not knowing how to I mean cook anything it's awful and I want to be like healthier I want to make sure my body's like working properly not just living on eggs and toast and deliveroos and previous to the pandemic were you just out all the time did you just eat at restaurants all the time Always, it's my joy. I love eating out. I, could, I yeah, breakfast, lunch, dinner, pop around the corner. I love the community that I live in. I know everyone, and yeah, it's it's my kind of ex, big expenditure is food and drink. But then I don't do a big shop every week, so I get away with it like that. But I know that my costs of living would be a lot lower if I did it like that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, is there a best restaurant you can recommend? Where should we go? In London. Oh gosh, there's so many I love. My mm. ultimate favourite is Mockham's on Mockham Street. It's just, it's like an old French brasserie style, but you sit out in the middle of the road and when the sun's shining, I mean, it's in Belgravia, so of course it's beautiful. I mean, it's breathtaking. Um, but I just love the characters that you get walking past. It. I mean, you could do a film about it, you know. It's unbelievable who you see walking past there. But, yeah, for me, I love Mockham's on Mockham Street. But then I do, I mean, it, after hours, there's only one nightclub for me, and it's this dingy place called 151. And I, honestly, I don't think it's had a refit since the 70s, and they just play, like, the most terrible music. And it just makes me really happy in there. So I do Mockham's all day and then nip down to 151 for a bit of a dance oh god that sounds like such a good day out soon soon we'll be doing that again uh your fifth piece of advice it's one we hear all the time but I'm interested in what it means for you so it's be kind and and why did you pick that I picked it because you never know when people are going to come back in your life and when I was thinking about these pieces of advice pieces of advice to speak to you about I just I thought about a scenario there was when I first started on Maiden Chelsea um I've got to navigate this well, let's just say emotions were running quite high a lot of the time. And I was very fortunate that I was never in horrendous storylines where someone had dumped me on camera or, I mean, I did have that, but, you know, I hadn't had the relationship breakdown that I'd been with a man for two years and it came to an end. So I understand why, but I would notice sometimes that certain cast members weren't as kind and polite as to production as they should do because the production on any TV show whether as big or as small as it is, is insane. The infrastructure and the planning and the work, the hours that crew work, it's really intense. I think I used to just love, love sitting down with the crew and having a bit of a chinwag. And I do um, presenting for this morning and they'll send me off wherever to go and do a feature. And one of the old, old assistant producers, he was really a scheduler, really. And I became really crazy to him. And he said to me, you were always so kind to me back then. And he said, that's why I put you forward for this piece with this morning, because I really wanted to work with you. And I thought, God, isn't that lovely advice? Like, I haven't thought, I haven't planned to do that, because it was, you know, seven, eight years ago. But isn't it a lovely way to live? And I think being kind, of course, we all talk about the importance of it. But being kind to the people that you actually might not know how much they're helping you. 
like people who work in TV production, you know. So that's why I rate that one. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, it, we do also talk about it in this internet atmosphere. As you said, you do a bit of influencing. I don't, is that a term you do a bit of influencing? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, how do you find that internet world? Do you get a lot of bad comments? I mean, I imagine it's quite positive for you usually. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, when I came out of the jungle, there was a bit of hate around. Um, I've suffered with acne quite badly. Um years and years and years and obviously I couldn't really cover it up in the jungle so I mean I used to get nasty things like pizza face you know blah 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 blah. I mean the usual stuff that anyone would say about someone with acne which is just so rank um and I I did I made a decision that I didn't really want to do but this morning asked me to address the trolling and I did a feature where I just looked down the barrel of the camera and I took all my makeup off with a with a face wipe because I'm very good at hiding my spots. Like it's something that I could put on my CV. And I said to them, you know, hi, trolls. And I read out all of the nasty things that I'd seen in the past two days. I was like, I hear you. You're not saying anything I don't know. But this is me. And I'm proud. And I'm not ashamed of my spots anymore. So do your worst. And the video got millions and millions of views. And since then, I touch wood. I never want to jinx this. I really don't struggle with trolling. But I hope that I've created a lovely community, but you never know. But again, it's if you put yourself in the in the media, the public eye, you put yourself out there, you do grow a bit of a thick skin. I wonder whether you, if you asked me that question when I was 19, I think I'd probably have a really different response. Um, but no, I am lucky, but I see a lot of it online and I don't mind. Yeah, do you try to not look? I mean, do you read stuff? Do you look at your Instagram comments? I reply to every single person that comments on my Instagram, every single one. So I'm pretty hot on it. The only things that I don't look at are direct messages um, because I just can't manage all of it. But I just think I'm, I'm really privileged that hundreds and hundreds of people message me publicly a day. It takes me an hour and a half every morning. But A, it's my business. And B, I'm really touched that people have wonderful things to say. So I wonder whether... I've been the driving force for positivity. I mean, if that is a really disgraceful comment, I don't delete it and I just don't respond. I don't know, maybe I'm not the like mecca of not getting trolled, but that's what's worked for me so far. Yeah, fantastic. And your final piece of good advice is about, you know, that subject, about your acne. So tell me that. Yeah, so if you if you have struggled with spots, I mean, you know, every single person does at some point in their life. I don't believe it, they don't. Um, just don't let it, define you because your spots are they're an aesthetic annoyance and no more than that and I think who you are inside really overrides it and I over the years I've been really embarrassed about my skin and I remember even thinking that my friends wouldn't want to invite me to things because of my spots which is just it's such an insane mindset for any person to have but it also mustn't be diminished because I think when you do struggle with acne and I seem to I mean I've got a few today, but I've got quite a lot of foundation on. But, you know, I, I'm in a really good place with my skin. So that's probably why I'm I'm being quite positive about it. It can take you to a really dark place because you, you can't hide it because it's right on your face. So it's one of those things that I just wish that I'd have come to terms with them. Like now, my, my acne is such a big part of me. And I would go as far to say that I'm actually quite proud of my scars because it's, well, spots used to be there. That's why I have scarring. And now they're not. So it's, I mean, they always come back. My acne is very cyclical and it's evident that it's never going to leave me because I'm, you know, late 20s now. But I wish that I'd have kind of had a proper sit down with myself and just been like, 
spots are one thing. Who you are as a person is totally different. And people really don't give a shit. In fact, people empathise with you because everyone's been there. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting you say you've you've changed your relationship over the years. I think some of those things have to come with age, right? And you have to learn that experience yourself as much as anyone can tell you when you're a teenager. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter. You know, you can't understand that until you've learned it yourself, I don't think. Yeah, there's. I always think that because I try to talk a lot about it on my social media. And I always, always reply to people being like, I promise you it will get easier. You will come to terms with it at some point. I don't know when that point will be. Um, but yeah, spots are just a really funny one. Um, but yeah, as I said, I'm in a really good place for my skin now. But it's been it's been like ten years, longer, longer than ten years of having it. We always finish the podcast uh with a piece of bad advice you've been given. You may have taken it, you may not have taken it. So what what's that? What for you? So the advice that I was given by my parents was basically around the fact that I had worked really hard to go to university to study law. And I really wanted to be a barrister and I worked really hard. I knew from when I was about 10 that I wanted to work in law. It was it was my always my goal. And then I on my gap year, I joined Made in Chelsea. And I said to my parents, I'm, I'm not going to go to university. They were like, you are making the biggest mistake of your life. You have wanted to be a barrister for so long. We have heard you. Don't do it to yourself by deviating off course. Now, Maybe it was a stroke of luck, but thank God I didn't take that advice because me deviating off course has meant that, yeah, it's been a bit of a long slog, but I've got a career that I'm really proud of. I've done so many things that I would never have thought that I could have done. So sometimes just take a punt and go for it against parental advice because in your gut, you'll know whether it's the right thing to do, maybe, but if you're quite strong-minded and there must be something in you to make that decision and go against advice you can always pick up the pieces and go again and go back to the original plan so yeah I'm glad that I didn't listen to them <laughs> I love that and how do your parents talk about that now are they still like well we still think you should have been a barrister or do they yeah. accept you were right yeah they were like you were completely right well we're really proud of you for being strong at that age but I mean I went and saw a careers counsellor I was so torn up about it I was like you know, I, I was meant to be going off to Bristol and I, I this life that I'd planned. And he said, just sit down and make pros and cons of going off to uni and doing that thing or going on Made in Chelsea. But this time I featured on the show twice. I was like a real bit person. I mean, you have no idea when you're going to get cut from that show. I mean, really, it was a massive punt. Um, but, <laughs> but I made these lists and there were so many more pros with, you know, having a bit of fun for a couple of years and trying my luck in television. Um, and as I said at the beginning, I, maybe I, well, I know I've been very lucky, but what an adventure. And if it had all got tits up, you know, I would have had to have done the Open University or found another route. You know, if you want to do something, you'll always get there. Fantastic. That's such a positive, great note to end on. Thank you so much, Georgia. It's been brilliant speaking to you. I've loved it. Thank you. Thanks to Georgia Toffolo for sharing her tips and thanks to you too for listening to Grazia Life Advice. You've heard me say it before, but it really matters to us. Please, please help us out by leaving a rating and review for the show in your podcast player. And spread the word. Tell a friend who loves Made in Chelsea that they should definitely check out today's episode. Take care and see you next time.